you have your Bibles or electronic devices, let's join together. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, take a look at your neighbor and just go, wow, wow, wow. Some of you are starting to catch on. This is good. We conclude today our series on courageous living. I've enjoyed this study. Have you? Uh, the Sunday school class time uh, has been very helpful, and I appreciate Rodney and Aaron, and uh, they're putting this together for us. It was great. Uh, beginning in April, we're going to start a special men's study, men, teenage boys study, and would encourage you when we mention that by way of sign-up that you will want to participate in that study, specialized study. Today, I think, is probably the most pivotal message of the four that I've preached this month, and I hope that you will tune in, and especially the men that are here, would you please tune in today? It's very important that you hear what I have to say. There is a difference between baseball and tennis, between golf and basketball. Coach Darlene's team won yesterday by one point in the last second of the game. I suspect she's just now getting out of the hospital today. I uh, went to watch Jinx girls play. I'd heard so much about them, and I had never seen them play. I was still waiting to see them to play yesterday because I didn't see much play yesterday. Uh, highly talented. But you know, when you've got a whole bunch of individuals and not a team, it makes it difficult. Some sports are... Uh, golf is one of those, isn't it? Golf, you play yourself. You really do. People would say, I'm playing Tiger Woods. No, you're not. You're playing you. Just look, look at Tiger. He's playing himself. Hits himself in the head with the clubs when it doesn't do right. Throws them into the lake because the clubs are all messed up. Oh, wait a minute. That's the way I play. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I hit that shot, and it's supposed to go straight. It goes way off over there somewhere. So if you throw your clubs in the lake, it, it makes it better. Amen. Because you don't ever play again. That's right. Many Christ followers have a Lone Ranger approach to their faith. They don't recognize the power of God and that it is available to them, nor do they understand the responsibility that they have to access that power that Christ represents in this world. They also may neglect the value of connecting to a local church or deepening relationships with other believers to further and deepen their walk with God. See, it's really important that we learn to deepen our walk with God. 
Would you say amen to that? And we can't do it just by attending church on Sunday morning. You have to spend some time with God every day. I've said it before. I'll continue to say it. Four ways that you can know that you're improving your walk with God and deepening it. If you encounter God every day through his word and through prayer. Then if you hang out with other Christians. And then if you'll tell other people. Because it's not enough to huddle with other Christians. You got to go out into the world and let them know too. About the saving grace of Christ. And that's really what the lesson in Sunday school was about. Amen. Got to tell somebody about it. You got to tell them. And we were never intended to go it alone. God is not looking for lone rangers. He's not. He's looking for team players. Men fall into the trap of the mentality of, I've got to handle it by myself. Somehow I'm more macho. I used to call it macho. I'm more macho. You're not laughing at all today. You guys are real serious today. You'd rather be outside, wouldn't you? Sunshine, 70 degrees. It's going to snow next week, so just relax. It's going to snow nine feet. Wrong. God's just making up for last year. He is. He's just having fun with us. He is. But men think they got to handle it themselves. It's the lie of secular humanism. It's alive and it's active. It tells us that it's all about us. Everything that goes on needs to be about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Every bit of it. But I want to give you a few things to take away this morning from a great story in First. First Kings chapter 18. So turn there in your Bibles. First Kings 18. The first thing I want you to take away, if you're going to be on God's team, is you are never the star player, but you can assume a strong supporting role. Imagine being on Mount Carmel, called to the mountain by a prophet whose reputation preceded him, Imagine standing on the side of Baal's 450 prophets, along with the prophets of Asherah and the other false gods, staring down at a guy who's going in alone. 450 plus, Elijah. Odds don't look too good, do they? I wonder what Elijah felt. I wonder what he thought. Can you imagine being Elijah and standing there in front of such a crowd all by yourself? We're going to pick up the story in chapter 18 at verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, 
the prophets of Baal may choose which one, whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the, on the altar, but not set fire to it. And then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agree. How many have heard this story before? Oh, this is a great story. Then Elijah said to the... I may just preach it like I do to kids, if that's okay. (laughs) Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Now you go first. For there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire on that wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal. It says, from morning until noon, shouting, Oh, Baal, 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 Baal. Answer us, Baal, Baal, Baal. No reply of any kind. Then they danced. Somehow that's going to bring Baal. Somehow Baal is going to answer So they start dancing and hobbling around the altar that they had made. 27, at noontime, Elijah began to mock them. I love this part. Hey, you'll have to shout louder. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or in some translation it says, or maybe he's sitting on the toilet. Mine says relieving himself, but I love the sitting on the toilet. Isn't that where men do most of their thinking? <laughs> days and days and hours and hours. Or maybe he's away on a trip, Elijah says, or he's asleep, needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. Followed their normal customs. <laughs> They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Now you've got to get the picture here. There's 450 of them. They've been screaming. And nothing's happened. They've danced and hobbled. I love hobbled around the altar. Probably some of them are old like me. Can't, can't dance, but it's a, it's, a, it's a hobble. So they hobble around. Then that doesn't work, so they start yelling loud. And then they start cutting themselves and bleeding all over the altar. Isn't that awesome? Hey, you're not bleeding. Come here. They start slicing each other. And they're bleeding all over everything. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready for 450 people bleeding all over anything. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Verse 30, then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Now the servants that were up there to help him 
looked at it. Where were they going to get the water? At the bottom of the hill. So they take the gallon jugs and they go down and they get water and they bring it up. And he pours it on there. He says, I need more. So they go back down the hill, they get more, they bring it up, and he pours it on there. And they say, now go give me some more. And pretty soon they're coming up. (sighs) 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 You don't want any more, do you? He goes, I just ought to do it. Pours it on. Do the same again in verse 34. (laughs) When they finished, do it a third time. And water ran down the altar even filled up the trench that he had dug around the bottom of the outside and it was running over. So the thing was saturated. What do I know? I'm not a Boy Scout, but what do I know about wood that is wet? It does not what? Sorry, it doesn't burn. You can just throw all the stuff on there you want, but wet wood doesn't burn. Smokes a lot. Stinks a lot. But it sure doesn't burn. So he had... Not only set up the altar, poured water all over it, put it in the trench, it's running over. Verse 36, at the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38. And there was silence. Is that what your Bible says? In verse 38. And there was silence for a half hour. meant the women weren't there. Hey, I just want to see if he was listening. I wasn't sure when I got started here. No, it says immediately what happened. The fire fell, flashed down from heaven, burned up the bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they went, yeah, big deal. What does your Bible say they did? They fell prostrate to the ground and said, no, they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. (coughs) Now, I don't know about you, but that's something. It wasn't just this little flicker. It was this fire from heaven. We did this at church camp one time, skit night. And the teenage assistant that was helping was up in the tree. And you couldn't see him because of the leaves. And we had a little wire that we ran kerosene down to the altar. And he was going to light it. It was going to be awesome. Problem is, he didn't close the kerosene container. So when he lit it, he lit it! (laughs) Tree and all, praise God. So God threw him down out of that tree. (laughs) But I'm telling you, can you see, can you imagine the people seeing this sight? 
those 450 prophets of Baal cutting themselves, dancing, hobbling, nothing happening, no word, no, no even flutter of a, of, a, of a word. And yet then Elijah prays in God from heaven, boom, and he consumes that altar, licks up the water. Woo, man, oh man, oh man. Verse 40. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. Yeah, like they could. They've been bleeding up there for half a day. Where's it going? <laughs> so the people seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and he killed them. Oh, 450 of them. Can you see one of them with a sword? I can't get it up. Man, my arm's gone. Yeah. Then Elijah says to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear the mighty rainstorm coming. <laughs> it hadn't been raining around there. So Ahab went to drink, eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, prayed with his, feast, his face between his knees, and then he said to his servant, go look in, uh, out toward the sea. The servant went, came back, and he said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go out. Why is it seven times? Why didn't it go three? Perfect number. God's perfect number. God said, go seven times. Finally, on the seventh time, he says, I saw a little cloud with a, about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Abraham, uh, Isaiah shouted to Ahab, you better hurry up. Climb into that chariot and go back home. If you don't, the rain's going to stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And then the Lord, here's our verse we read earlier, then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, tucked in his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab. He's out running chariots. He's on foot. Can you see the horses? Whoa! Clydesdales. Yeah, they're gone. He's on foot. I've seen some of these guys run. They need the power of God. But Elijah realized two things. First, his competition wasn't the prophets of the false god, but they were the false god Baal himself. We would do well to recognize who our opponents are. We are not at war with other churches. We are not called to compete with other Christians. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the prince of darkness in this world. Our children are not a casualty of church wars, but of cultural wars. Somebody asked me the other day, said, why don't we have Sunday school for kids? I said, if I can get the parents to bring them, and if I had somebody who would teach them. Just a couple of items. That's it. I've had teachers before, but no kids come. Why? Because parents won't get up and bring them. Well, they ought to get here. They ought to say, well, you just go get them in the bus. Why should I have to go get your kids and teach them the spirit? You bring them up here. Take a little responsibility, parents. Come on. Well, that means I've got to get out early. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to miss breakfast. I've got to get them and get dressed. I'm, I do that every week going to work. I don't know. I'm going to church on Sunday. I know. 9.30 is really early. We've, we've had Sunday school at 9 this whole month. Praise God, we're going back to 9.30 starting next week. Whew. Crowds were down, man. Crowds were down. We started with 60 and we, sw we swam down to 35. People haven't get up early like that and come in 30 minutes early and then stay late for the preacher to honk and do it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 oh. We're not in combat with the children's ministry down the street. We are in direct conflict with the enemy of this world. 
Who wants every one of our kids? I'll take 19 on Wednesday night any day. I'll take three on Sunday morning any day. Just let me have time to teach them. But I'm only one person. And when the person asked me, why can't we have Sunday school? I guess I could teach, I could teach the adults. I could run teach the adults for 20 minutes and then run and teach the kids for another 10, run back and finish the adults in prayer, and then run back to the kids. While all of you are going, man, he's a house of fire. Look at that guy go. Oh, I've got to stop by and do the greeting at the door, too. Oh, now I need to run up and get the communion ready. Oh, now I need to run up and get ready. Oh, now I've got to get the songs ready. Oh, now. Anybody want to jump in there and help? Oh, man, I'm wore out watching you, brother. Okay. If you want to have a Sunday school class for kids, get up and come on, and I'll help you teach them. I'll train you how to do it. No hands. It's very quiet in here right now. Don't you want to teach these beautiful young people on the front row? They're intimidating in the class. They've got guns and knives and spears. They do carry a sword. It's called the Word of God. It's fun. Hmm. You see, there's room for everybody to do anything if God's laid on your heart to do it. Amen? And we're just waiting. Just waiting. We're just waiting. Second thing Elijah realized is that success wasn't on his shoulders. Isn't that great to know? It's not on our shoulders. Success is on God's shoulders. He's just looking for servants who will help. He's looking for those available, not for their ability, but for their availability. Amen. He wasn't carrying the team. That is Elijah. He was a second string player warming the bench while God did what only God does. His courage came from confidence in the Lord. When we are on God's side, we are not the star players. We just feed Him the ball. And then we watch him work. I kept praying for Jinx girls to get a hot hand. Somebody. And they kept feeding it to their star player and she was missing everything. That was amazing. And I imagine she felt the weight of the whole game on her shoulder. And then, then this, this one that didn't seem like she was a big time player she started hitting them from outside. They finally started feeding her the ball. Absolutely. If you got somebody with a hot hand, give them the ball. Amen. Give them the ball. So when you're fighting the fight of God, don't fight it alone. Don't fight it on your own. It's not your power. It's God's power. Our role as believers and as churches isn't to be great for God. It's to make great the glory of God. It's not a, you know, I've asked, I've, I've asked you to pray for us to double on Easter. Wouldn't it be great to have 150, 160 people here on Easter Sunday? It'd be awesome. We've got a lot of follow-up to do, so I need some help with follow-up. Phone calls and cards being written and so forth. Yeah, I need that. Yeah. I hope you'll volunteer to help. I know some of you will, because that's the kind of people you are. To be on God's team, secondly... The element of surprise is always our strategy. 
Let me reread 1 Kings 8, 38. It says, Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the woods, the stones, the dust, even licked up all the water in the trench. Man, he was surprised. It created an element of surprise. And our New Testament equivalent of that is Ephesians 3.20 that says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask, might ask or think. Whoo! Yeah, He'll do it. But He ain't going to do anything if we don't ask Him. You want to grow in your walk with God and ask Him. You want to go deeper, you want to know that Scripture like you've always wanted to know, like old brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, then you need to pray and ask Him to help you learn that. I mean, God could have just sent a spark, right? He just could have done a flicker. But in verse 37, Isaiah pleaded, Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Woo! Perhaps a shriek of lightning would have had enough answer for the prayer, but even that certainly would have been more than what Baal could or did accomplish. Even a steady fire would have fit the bill. But God chose to do something only God could do. More than Elijah could even imagine or ask. Elijah knew that God could do it. He indicated that by pouring all that water on that altar. Showing his faith. But he didn't know how he was going to do it. The element of surprise is always on the favor of God's team. His strategy isn't the most obvious or even logical according to our limited human perspective, but his strategy is always the right one to accomplish all of his purpose and achieve all of the recognition that he wants. Elijah prayed for fire, fire he got. But not just any old fire, it was a consuming fire. And Hebrews says that we have a God that is a consuming fire. If you're not in relationship with Him, if you don't have a saving relationship in Christ, then at the end you're going to be consumed by the fire of God. And you better wake up. Time's running out. Ah, they've been preaching that forever, preacher. Uh huh. I know. Now we're going to keep preaching it. Because I want you to know. I want you to come. I want you to be a part. I don't want you to be left out. God wants to display that measure of His power in us. Remember Ephesians 3.20 is not in response to the God of the Old Testament who made the earth, parted water, sent plagues, and champion armies. It's a promise available to us today. Ask, and He'll do more than we could ever hope or think. To be on God's team, thirdly, when you're the only one standing, you're still more than a mighty army. 1 Kings 18.40 is where one might have trouble wrapping his mind. Around that detail, Elijah orders the seizure of the Baal prophets, 450 in number, according to verse 22, and he slaughters them all. I struggled with that, and I began to dig in a little bit deeper in the laws of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13 ordered the death of those who worship false gods, and so he did. He was obedient to God. These killings were also a retribution to Jezebel, Executing all the prophets of Yahweh in verse 14 and verse 13 of 1 Kings 18. When you imagine Elijah single-handedly seizing 450 men, executing them with his bare hands, it seems like a scene from some gory film. But when you understand the reality of what occurred, 
prostrated believers no longer riding the fence, wavering between Yahweh and Baal, doing the heavy lifting of capturing and killing the prophets who led them astray. You get an even better picture of redemption. The people of God, newly committed to the Lord, were killing the sin and temptation in their lives, literally and figuratively. God can supply an army. Those wavering Israelites had no chance once God showed up. He won them back and He built an army, at least one big enough to tackle 450 of the queen's best prophets. Elijah did not waver. He asked the men and women of Israel how long they would continue to waver between two opinions. They weren't completely abandoning the worship of God. They were trying to blend the two together. People today do that. Try to blend the things of the world in with the things of God. God will not share His first place status in our lives with anyone or anything. Period. Take a bold stand for God means standing alone. may mean that. It could be at your workplace. It could be on the soccer field. It could be in your child's school or in the community among your friends. It might even mean taking a stand separate from your own family because you've chosen to raise kids differently from the way that you were raised. We can take comfort in the fact that when we choose to stand alone with God, we are never really alone. Standing with Him makes you larger in number and and in might than any army that this world can produce. Now let me summarize for you. The difference between a team player and a lone ranger, they're clear. Lone rangers hijack God's glory. Team players recognize their supporting role. Lone Rangers operate their way. Team players operate God's way. And it always ends up being surprisingly blessed. Lone Rangers pride themselves on doing it alone. Team players realize that they're never alone. And they rejoice because of it. Now it may take courage to stand alone. But it takes wisdom to realize that you're never alone. And faith to know that the power of God is enough. You cannot raise a happy, healthy, Christ-following family on your own. Men, you can't do it. Dad, you can't lead them. On your own. You've got to do it with the power of God. He's waiting to help you. You'll, you'll fail if your agenda gets in the way. But God has some surprisingly surpassing power that He wants to use for you and with you if you'll but let Him. And when He shows up, He wants to do more than we could ask for or imagine. And the key is that we still have to ask. And when we do, the motivation has to be to the glory of God in our lives and the lives of others around us. It's not so we can step back and be cocky about it. It's step back so we can be humble before God. It takes courage to live that way. It takes courage to expect God to be God without looking like a fool or a failure. Baal never showed up. Can you imagine the disappointment? A lot of people believe Satan's going to show up on the last day. <laughs> He'd already been whipped. Genesis 3 said that his head's been crushed. Resurrection crushed him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus has it all in control.
and thank Jesus. All the world is a footstool to Jesus. All the strong men in the world are going to bow their knees and say, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I can't wait. There's a, there's a guy in the eighth grade. I can't wait for him to do that. I hope he's already done it. Amen. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The people were completely silent. This word hesitate means to halt to, or to limp along. Michael Catt is the pastor at Sherwood Baptist Church. He put this movie together and he wrote a book about this courageous living and he asked, how long we plan to hesitate? And he asked it this way. How much time do you need? How many sermons do you have to hear? How many warnings do you have to receive? When your life is over, will you have stood for anything? If you don't decide, then you have, in fact, decided. Our time is now. It's time to take the right stand and answer God's call to courageous living his power is more than enough father i ask you this morning to do a mighty work here in your folks in this church god some of us are scared to death because we're afraid we're afraid of what it means to stand up and be counted we're going to have to give up some friends they're going to make fun of us. They're going to say stuff behind our back. Oh, that you'd bring fire from heaven to show your glory. But you know, Father, you do bring fire from heaven every day because your people, when they stand and they stand for you. That fire comes from within when that Holy Spirit penetrates. And God, your fire, through your word, is sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, today, would we have some men and some dads in this room who would stand and say, count on me. God, will we have some wives and some moms in this room that would stand and say, count on me? Will we have some grandparents in this room who would say, count on me? God, will we have some young people who would stand and say, count on me? Father, the call is great. And the world needs your people. Because the world needs you. In Jesus' name. Amen.